And it's a warm welcome to Dr. Kino's Film Emporium for the third episode. In honour of the late and much lamented Sir Alan Parker, who sadly passed away at the end of last month, the Emporium would like to honour one of his most stylish as well as most disturbing films, Angel Heart, from 1987. So, Alan Parker was a man of strong tastes and pretty strong opinions. He memorably, and I am paraphrasing here, once stated that if Peter Greenaway was allowed to make another film, he, Alan Parker, would emigrate. So, yes, not much room for a, um, a, black, a bit black and white there, I think. Uh, also had a pretty interesting range of genres as well that he worked in. He um, did a lot of musicals, so Bugsy Malone, which was his first film at the age of about 30, 1976. He did, of course, Fame in 1980, The Wall 82, Commitments 1990, and Evita in 1996. Also did um, foray into drama quite a lot, including stuff based on true life. So Andrew's Ashes, um, which was based on the Frank McCourt um, biography. Um, Mississippi Burning, which is based on True Events, Midnight Express, again on True Events, and Shoot the Moon, which is one of his lesser-known ones. I've not seen it, but should really check it out, I imagine. Um, Angel Heart is his only real foray into horror, which is a shame because he really does it brilliantly. So the question is, why is it in the Emporium? Well, uh, similar to last episode's The Sweet Hereafter, it is a case of main, mainly, not always, um, a lot of critical acclaim over the years followed by a pretty poor box office at the time, which is, a, again, a great shame, because it cost £18 million, which was a fair chunk of change in uh, 1987, and only recouped about £17.1, £17.2 worldwide. So, unfortunately, the film was regarded by the studio as very much of a failure. I think TriStar did the distribution, uh, which is a hell of a shame, pun intended, as it is a seriously stylish and chilling and very much deserved uh, a wider audience. It has built up a loyal cult following over the years and has gradually been reappraised by, amongst others, Little White Lies, William Carroll, who says, A cult film in every sense of the word, Angel Heart manages to take many of the well-worn tropes of film noir and imbue them with a concentric horror of Dante's Inferno. It seemed implausible in 1987, and perhaps even more so now, that such a genre mashup could be so grimly spellbinding. I would say that's a pretty good um, summary of the film. Um, so it is spellbinding. Why? Well, as discussed in a previous episode, a great film, I think, is always much more than some of its parts. And Angel Heart certainly is a great film, and it's certainly more than some of its parts. It's one of his, uh, obviously, lesser-known efforts, um, but it really shouldn't be. Um, I think it also boasts one of Mickey Rourke's best performances um, as a shabby down-at-heel private detective called Harry Angel in 1955 New York. And it's the fractured narrative revolves mainly around a missing persons case that soon spirals out of control into a hellish search for self and a confrontation with evil, who is chillingly represented in the film by Robert De Niro as a mysterious, wealthy client who manages to persuade our hapless hero that he needs to find a pre-war crooner called Johnny Favourite, even as bodies are piling up around him. So the film is shot through, no pun intended, with an increasingly palpable sense of violence and menace, as Harry stumbles around New York and then New Orleans in search of favourite until he finds out about the truth about himself and his client. Needless to say, uh, the ending is grim, it's bleak, it's brutal, and it's definitely not for the faint-hearted, um, but it's all the more powerful for it. Uh, Parker was under some pressure from the studio, which was Carol Co., to give it a happier ending, but to his eternal credit, uh, he resisted, and the film, I think, is much, much stronger as a result. 
So as uh, The Sweet Hereafter, it's based on a novel, in this case, uh, Falling Angel by William Schwartzberg. And it's another example, I think, of an adaptation being as good as the original text. So he does change, like Ogoyan did with The Sweet Hereafter, a number of features of the novel to make the film stronger. And I think it's to his credit that they work as well as they do. So, for example, the film is set wholly in New York, but Parker does actually take it out of New York and starts to move it into New Orleans. And, yeah, it's it's just an, such an atmospheric uh, change. Both New York and New Orleans look very different to each other, and there's a very strong sense of atmosphere. As one of the more stylish directors who worked in mainstream Hollywood, especially in the uh, 70s and 80s, uh, to a lesser extent the 90s, Parker's vision, I think, is stunning. Uh, it really is showcased by this film. So both New York and New Orleans are washed out in colour and they're suffused with this bleak menace. The violence is usually only seen after it's taken place, which is partly for narrative purposes, but it's all the more shocking in a way. You know, he certainly doesn't hold back on the gore in places. I think for sheer disturbance value, there's a notorious um, blood-spattered sex scene between Angel and Epiphany Proudfoot, who is played by Lisa Bonnet, who's previous credits up until that point included the rather more wholesome Cosby show and it's just one of the film's truly horrific moments it fuses together uh, sex and death in a Freudian nightmare that has echoes of a much much darker occult ceremonial aspect to it so this actually put the film in a certain amount of trouble with the MPAA the American Board of Censors who slapped an X rating on the film until Parker requested it had to recut the uh, required amount to get it down to an R rating, which is a decision that troubled him greatly. He's later said, uh, the MPAA cannot ban the movie, but this is, in a way, blackmail. I think I'm a responsible filmmaker. I have complete creative freedom, so if there's anything offensive about Angel Heart, I am responsible for it. The 10 seconds of offensive footage was later restored on the VHS and DVD version, and thank goodness too, because it's, it's an incredible... So performances were uniformly excellent, with Rourke's gumshoe, I think, one of his best efforts by a long, long way. Um, Similar to Anthony Hopkins' turn as one H. Lecter, uh, De Niro's silky voice client, Louis Cipher, is only in the film briefly, moment to moment, but he does manage to steal every scene that he's in. And like Hannibal Lecter, I think he can be counted as one of the film's more memorable villains. So elsewhere, Charlotte Rampling, which is a great piece of casting, actually, Mickey Rourke suggested that she should be cast. So thank you, Mickey. Um, as one of Johnny Favourite's fiancés and fellow occultists is suitably chilling. She's got these very icy blue eyes, which is used to great effect. Um, and Lisa Bonnet is spe- breaks spectacularly free from her previous wholesome role as the eldest Cosby kid, and which is a, ultimately a decision that brought, brought him into conflict with her on-screen father, Bill. So what did the critics think of the film at the time? Well, it's a pretty mixed bag, as it turns out. So the legendary critic Pauline Kael of The New Yorker criticised Parker's direction as being up. Uh, There's no way to separate the occult from the incomprehensible. Parker doesn't simply doesn't have the gift of making evil seductive. And he edits like a flasher. Really harsh words, and I don't really think that they are deserved at all. Um, he, she also criticised uh, De Niro's cameo appearance, writing, It's the sort of guest appearance that lazy big actors delight in. They can show up the local talent. This, I think, is grade A BS from Kale. I think she called it totally wrong on that one. Um, Rourke more than holds his own against De Niro. There's this very strong sense of um, opposites when they come together. And it's, yeah, I think it's uh, very off the mark by a long way. So it is, Rourke's efforts actually got um, recognised by a Jupiter Award as well, which I think is well-deserved. 
Unfortunately, the strength of the film um, and the mixed critical responses, and the strength, I mean, it's strong stuff to watch, so it definitely deserves an 18. Um, stymied any kind of box office success, which I think is much to the filmmaker's detriment. Um, Kale and other critics' positions are not borne out by the film over the years, and it's slowly built up a strong word of mouth. Um, a number of plaudits have come out in support of the film, including Christopher Nolan, who praised its fractured narrative, which in turn has influenced his filmmaking. Uh, Ken Levine and Jane Jensen, who are video game designers, and they've both used aspects and were inspired by a lot of the film's conceits. And the Den of Geek writer Ryan Lambie, who ranked the film at number six, no less, number six, in at, um, in his top 20 underappreciated films of 1987. I would love to find out what the others were, but maybe for another time. So more recently, I think in 2010, Wired magazine ranked it at 22 in the 25 best horror films of all time. Again, I think a very well-deserved um, recognition. And in 2014, Mark Hughes, a writer for Forbes magazine, simply placed it at number nine in the uh, top 10 best cult classic horror movies. So for my own parts, I came across it when I was actually legally able to rent out 18 certificates um, videos in the late 80s and this uh, kids of the 21st century is uh, when you have VHS tapes so yeah a little bit more exciting than just streaming it I think but that's uh, perhaps a debate for another time so I can safely say it scared the bejesus out of both myself and my friends when we watched it uh, around at a friend's house it wasn't so much the blood and the gore although that was pretty bad it was more this, this slow insistent tonal horror that something very very bad was going to happen to Harry Angel which unfortunately as a spoiler alert it does um, as I said the ending is bleak but oh yeah it's a, it's a corker so the film geeks myself included have spoken you have your orders good listeners of Dr Kino's Film Emporium you better go and watch it you will be disturbed but it is one of those underappreciated classics I think the Emporium is now closing. It's been great to have you here. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy your films and we will see you next time for more cinematic treats and delights. Do take care.